Well, this summer series comes to a conclusion today. Uh, and again, we'll take a little break in September. I think it's the 12th. We'll resume and begin our study of Philippians. And the last question I wanted to deal with today is salvation. This can be quite controversial, and there are a whole host of churches represented in this room. And I know I've got the spectrum. I know for sure I have a spectrum between those who hold a very staunch Calvinist view and those who hold a Arminian view. And uh, so I'm not going to go down that road, hopefully, and I'm going to probably disappoint some of you. Others are going to be glad we didn't go down that road. Um, So don't interrupt, please. (laughs) This is what I'm going to talk about this morning. So I I, want to deal, though, with some overarching ideas that I think no matter which theological camp you hold to, and if you don't know what those terms mean, uh, that's okay. Um, uh, The reason... I want to deal with this is because, especially, and this series was put together way before what has transpired in the last couple weeks, and if you've not seen the news of Joshua Harris, who was a prominent pastor, wrote, I Kissed Dating Goodbye, if you remember that book that came out, oh my, what was that, the 90s or 80s, somewhere in there, 1990s, 1980s, uh, has abandoned the faith. Uh, A writer for Hillsong uh, Group has written nearly 400 songs. And I can guarantee you probably sing one or two of his songs in your church, churches on a Sunday, has also abandoned the faith in the last two weeks. It's, you know, side note, it's one thing that they abandon the faith. It's another that they're using it as a platform. It really is frustrating, <laughs> to say the least. But they're, they're not alone. And, and these are some stats that I just pulled off the Internet, uh, some research that has been done. 70% of teens will leave the faith in college. 70%. Only 35% eventually return. Seven in 10 Protestants ages 18 to 30, and this is both evangelical and mainline, who went to church regularly in high school said they quit attending by the age of 23. 34% of those said they had not returned even sporadically by age 30. No more than 15% of the total emerging adult population embrace a strong religious faith. These stats, while I wish they were not true, they're probably not strong enough, and it's very alarming. So what, what do we do with all of this? There are three questions that kind of percolate, at least I think these are the three, that percolate in relationship to this topic. And there's a whole host of things we could ask and, and dive into, and obviously we only have a few minutes to do it. Uh, and for some of you, this is old hat. You know this. For some of this, is, this is new material. So just bear with us as we go along. But I want to look at three questions that I think are often raised. The first of these is, isn't intellectual assent, and that was misspelled in your notes, sorry, sufficient sor- for salvation? Uh, you know, if they give lip service, isn't that sufficient? Um, And I'd like us to look at 1 Corinthians. We're going to look at a couple texts today. If you would, turn to 1 Corinthians 15. And we'll look at these passages this morning in light of this. There was a theological debate, oh, back in the late 1900s um, with... uh, John MacArthur, Zane Hodges, and then Charles Ryrie stepped in on, on the whole topic of salvation. And um, 
there was, it's called Lordship Salvation. You've probably heard that, t- that phrase used before. And one of the criticisms was of Hodges and others is all, all, if someone just names the name of Christ, they're saved. And 1 Corinthians 15 talks about this. It says in verse 3, For I passed on to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And on He goes. That's the content of the Gospel, isn't it? And, and we, we talk about, we put our faith in that, and that is faith meaning something that is convinced of, something that you've given credence to. And as a result, in that paragraph below faith, what we're dealing with is facts of the gospel is to trust one's eternal destiny. Thus, it's a recognition that Christ is the sole means of salvation and that he alone can remove the guilt of sin and grant eternal life. This is what uh, Harris and others are saying, no, I, I can't accept that anymore. True faith entails knowledge, assent, and reliance. Notice that it's a talicized market. This is key here. True faith is not just lip service. It can't be. That's not how Scripture sees it. There is an embracing of this truth. There is an assent and a reliance on it. Look at Luke 24. Turn there if you would. Luke 24, 46 and 47. This is part of Christ's final commission. He says to them, verse 46, It stands written that Christ would suffer and rise rise from the dead on the third day, and the repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed. It's, It's all part of the package of embracing this and understanding that, no, I am dependent on what Christ has done. So in other words... And this is there at that last paragraph. It's not simply believing Jesus and watch the prepositions. It's believing in him and on him. And after all, the demons recognize that Christ rose from the dead. <laughs> and they even fear and tremble, but they don't believe. They've not placed faith because they're not willing to embrace and submit to the truth of the gospel. So is Intellectual assent sufficient for salvation? No, it is not. And uh, I think we all know that, you know. If you have children and they've made that profession when they're three, you, you pray that there's an understanding as they grow older of, of what they have done of, of, with the gospel. Uh, whether the 30, I guess, or 3, 3, 30, 130. You know, is there an understanding of what you really are saying about Jesus. Questions or comments on this? Uh, this will play out further as we, we go through this. Yeah, Paul.
Yeah, and that's what I, I think that's what Scripture is also indicating here. Um, Packer's book, Knowing God, is fabulous. If you've not read it, that should be on your top ten list of books to read. Uh, it, it's a wonderful resource. And, and that ties in, Paul, what you've mentioned, because I want to take this a step further, and that's the next one. If someone is truly saved, is ongoing sin in this life possible? Right? Uh, and, and this comes to a term that we often hear, and it's called carnality, right? Uh, or carnal. You don't want to be called a carnal Christian. <laughs> carnal means to have the nature and characteristics of the flesh or things of the world. I'd like you to turn to 1 Corinthians. Let's look at this. Uh, this is the church that had a whole host of issues. You know, Paul spent 18 months at Corinth. Uh, you know, uh, this church benefited greatly from his presence. And yet, oh, they got more problems you can shake a stick at, all right? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, or 3, excuse me, 3, and, and verse 1 through 3. I want you to look at this. Paul writes to this church, and by the way, when he greets them, he says to those who have been sanctified in Christ, which means set apart, <laughs> they're less than sanctified. And he's about ready to take out a club and whack them upside the head. He says in verse 1 of chapter 3, So brothers and sisters, I cannot speak to you as spiritual people, but instead of people of the flesh, as infants in Christ, I fed you milk, not solid food, but you were still not ready. In fact, you are still not ready. You're still influenced by the flesh. For since there's still jealousy and dissension among you, are you not influenced by the flesh and behaving like unregenerate people? All right. There are several categories of people in, that, in, that, in those three verses. Help me out. What are they? What do we see? Uh, okay. Uh, we, we do have newborns in the faith, right? Uh, this is infants in Christ. These are your newborn Christians, right? Um, uh, <laughs> Howard Hendricks used to say it's okay to hear a few dams and hells every now and then in church. Because these are these new converts that are coming to Christ. And he said, you know, uh, give them time. They'll be like sucking on prune juice like you. Uh, I can always hear him saying that. But there are newborns and infants in Christ, right? Uh, there's no doubt about that. And the text highlights that. There is a time when individuals need milk. You're not going to talk to them about sanctification, justification at this level when they've just come to Jesus, right? Uh, we've got some more essential issues such as how to pray, <laughs> how do you study the Bible, right? What else do we see here? What's another group? Worldly. Yeah, we've got, the, uh, he calls them unregenerate, doesn't he not? Yes. These are the unsaved. He says, that's what you once were, unsaved. What's another group that we see here? I'm sorry? Okay, we see um, uh, fleshly, but they are believers, aren't they? Um, yeah, the, these are individuals who are still acting like they're newborns, but they should be far more mature in the faith, right? I was going to say after. Yeah, he, is, he does distinguish them between the unsaved, doesn't he? That's very important. This is where we get the term carnal. Uh, Christians who 
uh, have made a profession, they're distinguished from the unsaved, but they're acting like they're unsaved. And then we have one more category, and who is that? Come on, I used to do this for freshmen in college. They knew. What's the other group? Thank you. There's the mature, right? Don't forget that in the text. There are the mature who, you know, they're eating T-bones. They're not, no longer on a milk bottle when it comes to the spiritual walk, right? So we have four different groups that he identifies in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, right? And, and one of those groups is the carnal. John Calvin, in his commentary on Corinthians, down at the bottom of the page, although they were not entirely without grace, yet they had more of the flesh than of the spirit in their lives, and that is why he calls them carnal. Believers who have made a profession have truly been, he appears that they are not the unsaved, and yet they're acting unsaved. In fact, when we get to 1 Corinthians 5, there's a guy sleeping with his stepmom. And I don't know about you, but I'm like, he's got to be unsaved. But when we get to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, he's restored. Paul says, bring him back. He's repented. So clearly, appears that he's a follower of Jesus and he's been brought back. And so these four categories, and so if someone is truly saved, is ongoing sin a possibility? Well, let's look at two more texts. That's, that's, the, yeah, yeah. Well, there is a journey and there's a process because he's identifying that here. He says there's a time when you need milk. The problem is they're now 10 years in the faith and they're still needing a milk bottle. And by now they should yeah. be eating a, yeah. a ribeye. Yeah, yeah, there is a process. And, Oh, I see what you're saying. And let's face it, that I have no doubt that's why a lot of young people are abandoned in the faith. They're looking at their parents who go to church every Sunday and claim to be Christians going, if that's Christianity, no thank you, which is an indictment on the parents. And last time I knew, if you cause a child to stumble... Matthew 18 is very clear what should happen to you. So, I mean, the warning is dangerous. Let me move forward because I want you to look at two texts that are very key to this whole discussion, and that is John 15. It's a familiar text, but I want you to look at this. John 15, it's a parable, um, if you remember, of the vine and the branches. Remember this, Jesus, the vine and we are the branches. I used to sing that right, when I was in camp. But 1516, Jesus says, and it's red letter, so it's very important, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and watch bear fruit. Fruit that remains, so that whatever you ask in the Father's name, he will give you. In other words, and, and Ryrie states it, every Christian will bear fruit. Somewhere, sometime, and somehow. Otherwise, you're dead in the faith. I think we have to be careful with this because I... You know, you look at it, Joshua Harris, you go, you go, my goodness, look at the fruit that that guy produced, right? His book changed lives. He's been involved in ministry. So you have to be careful on the other side. But true fruit, 
which is, I think, the fruit of the Spirit uh, in one sense and others as well. This leaves two major questions, and they're, they're in your notes. The first one really is multifaceted. How long can sinning persist? How much sin can be tolerated, and how serious of a sin can be committed? I don't know. I don't know, right? Uh, the, whether or not they're true believers, I mean, ultimately that's between them and the Lord. Whether, you know, uh, we engage individuals based upon their profession, right? I had a young man who shoplifted. <laughs> yes, he was a, was a Christian university. And uh, pulled him aside and said, okay, what's going on? Because this is just a tip of the iceberg. And there was no repentance other than he was sorry he got caught. And you start probing and, you know, I said, do you claim to be a follower of Christ? He goes, yeah. And I said, well, then we're going to do, well, then we're going to address this accordingly. If he had said, no, I'm not a follower of Christ, then, then here's, the, here's the gospel. You need to respond. Um, so how long can sinning persist? How much sin can be tolerated? I, I mean, sin, 1 John 3, a believer doesn't sin. Now, the NIV translates that a believer doesn't go on sinning. It's a, they take it habitual, but I don't think that's what the Greek allows at all. I think John, everything is, is black and white with John. If you're a believer, you don't sin. Now, he says in 1 John 1, if we sin, confess it, all right? So he understands that, but it's like oil and water. And, and if we are truly branches in the vine, according to John 15, we are going to bear fruit at some point at some time. This is difficult, uh, especially for those of you involved in, in leadership in churches. You know, what do you, what do you do with this when it comes to church discipline? What do you do with this when, you, you know, you engage your kids? Uh, <laughs> we had a discussion with my daughter just recently. You claim to know Christ. Uh, it's got to show f forth in your tongue you got to guard it. <laughs> She's going to be a lawyer when she grows up. Sorry, Al. I just know it. I just know it. Bill? I just think uh, for me, 1 John is real Well, 1 John is great because it's called the epistle of assurance, and it gives three litmus tests, three areas to explore, and it does it three times in the book. Uh, 1 John would be great. We may look at that in the spring. That's a great book because he looks at right conduct, brotherly love, and a proper Christology. Though, and, I mean, in other words, what do you do with Jesus? Those are the three areas he keeps coming back to. But I want you to see something, uh, and this leads us, Bill, to the next thing. Well, then, Okay, Hafiditz, how can we know if we're truly saved? Right? Forget everybody else. How do we know? And, and I would dare say there's at least a couple in this room have wrestled with this problem or this question, right? How do I know? So let me give you a few areas to look at in matters of assurance. First of these, a profession of faith was made. Now, I, I grant you, you're saying, well, wait a minute, you just told me that knowledge is not sufficient. True. But if there was a, an embracement of that gospel message at some point, then we have the surety of the future hope we have in Christ. One theologian, this is in your notes, says, The basis of our knowledge that we are in relationship with God is not our feelings, but the fact that he says we are. I don't know about you, but that, 
brings great comfort, right? When the wheel falls off the tricycle, and you go, okay, am I really his? <laughs> Did I just do that? Uh, you know, I look at Paul. At first, in, early on in his letters, he's the, the, the least of the apostles. By the time he's done in the latter letters, he says, I'm the, the worst of the sinners. Uh, because he understands more and more about who God is, etc. But he also understands, no, I have assurance that I'm his because I've made that profession. First John, speaking of which, turn to First John 5. Let's just look at two texts. First um, John 5, 10 through 12. If anyone has that and would like to read it, that'd be great. So the first way we know whether we're truly saved is if there's been a profession. And First John 5 says, you, the Lord has stated you're His. In fact, in uh, for, uh, John 10, it says, My sheep listen to my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. It, shortly thereafter, He calls Lazarus from the tomb by name. My sheep know my voice. And I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And, and by the way, in the Greek, that is an ume plus an eris subjunctive. In other words, there is absolutely no way this could fault, falter. The, the, the Greek is very clear. It can't say it any stronger than that. No one will snatch them from my hand. My Father has given them to me. They are mine. And Wayne Grudem in his systematic theology says, if the possibility remained that we could remove ourselves from Christ's hand, the passage would hardly give the assurance that Jesus intends by it. <laughs> you did nothing to earn your salvation, and I would argue you can do nothing to lose it. I'm showing my Calvinist tendency, so I'd say forgive me, but I won't. <laughs> when you get to heaven, you'll see you're wrong. No, I'm just teasing. No, no, no. Uh, at the end of the day, uh, we are, I think Arminians or Calvinists are saying much the same thing. Uh, we can argue whether that person was truly ever saved or they lost their salvation. The issue is they, they, you've got to persevere in the faith, right? And, and so one indication of this is a profession of faith was made. Let me give you another ex uh, uh, a matter of assurance. is evidence of the work of the Spirit, right? I think about this. The Spirit bears witness that we are God's children. How does he do that, by the way? Eugene, how does the Spirit? Dan Wallace said that guy is wrong up at Harvard. He said our spirit bears, his spirit bears witness with our spirit. And the guy at Harvard said, no, he bears witness in heaven. And he bears witness right now. Yeah, he, he does bear witness. Right now. How, and how does he do that? How does the Spirit bear witness to us that we are his children? Jamie. Yep, 
In fact, that fits with this, that the Spirit's producing attitudes and characters that are in keeping with Christ's likeness, right? It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's not the fruit of Hophidus. It's not the fruit of, it's not anyone's fruit, but the Spirit's is working through love, peace, joy. You know the, the list, Galatians 5. The Spirit is using us in the lives of others. There's a, a strong indicator. Are you being used by the Lord in the lives of others? And, and keeping kind of with this idea of depending on the Spirit is growing in our spiritual walk. Um, and I, I list that there as well, and we'll come back to that. But think about that. The evidence of the work of the Spirit is another indicator that you are truly His. Let me give you another matter of assurance, and that's sensitivity to sin. This is a biggie. I'd have students in my office, they'd be weeping. I think, I don't think I'm saved, blah, blah, blah. And you, you probe, and it's because they're struggling with, I don't know, you, you fill in the blank, something they're looking on the internet they shouldn't be looking at, you know what I'm talking about, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm going, you know what? <laughs> that you're struggling with this sin is a good indication that you're His, because the Spirit's convicting. If there was no conviction, uh, then I'm very concerned. I'm very concerned. <laughs> yeah, there could be that. So the sensitivity to sin, and let me give you one more. There's a long-term, and you guys already highlighted this, pattern of spiritual growth, right? There better be. At some point, at some po- uh, time, there should be fruit. That's what goes back to what Ryrie had stated in response to John chapter 15. Questions or comments on this? Yeah, Dick. <laughs> Mm. We pray for others in here, but it is nothing like the eternal spirit praying on our behalf. And that uh, emanates in all kinds of circumstances with others and all these other approaches. I don't know how a non-Christian goes through life. To know that we have the spirit within us and the son is interceding at this very moment on our behalf. I mean, that should, you should have a yellow puddle by your chair. I mean, that's so exciting. That's amazing. What a God we serve. Yeah, Kyle. No, it's not. Uh, I think I've mentioned this before. John Owen, uh, his book on temptation and sin. There's another great book to read. The Puritan author, John Owen, says the spiritual life is like forging a trail through a jungle. You're whacking down the trees and the vines, and you turn around, and you've cleared a path, but some of those trees you thought you cut down, you haven't, and they're growing back again. It's a journey. It's a process. And thank the Lord for you all and the fellowship here. It's just another way to, to, to push us forward, right? Well, let me give you three things to walk with. Uh, these are more, uh, not their commands rather than intersects, I guess. Uh, if you have not placed your faith in Christ, and, and I assume you have, those of you in this room, but if there's not a point where you've depended on the Lord solely for your means of salvation and forgiveness of sins, 
then today's the day, right? John 3, 16. Can we quote it together? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life, right? Selah. Uh, great text. And if you don't know Christ, see me afterwards or see someone else in this room. Today's the day. Uh, don't, go, don't go out that door. You don't know what t- today holds. Uh, if you are doubting, uh, debating, that should be doubting, whether or not you're truly born again, um, then there's a text. Second Peter is a text I challenge you to read. In fact, just, just turn there briefly. Uh, we studied Second Peter as a group. But 2 Peter 1, 3 says, I can pray this because his divine power has bestowed on us everything necessary for life and godliness. Remember, this is the guy who denied Jesus. (laughs) And through the rich knowledge of the one who called us by his own glory and excellence, through these things he has bestowed on us his precious and most magnificent promises by means it was promised to you, you may become partakers of the divine nature after escaping the worldly corruption. For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith excellence. In other words, you got to be growing, right? But you need to be reminded you are his, and he's gone to great lengths for this. And I've given you again earlier, what, how do we know we're saved? Some things to look at. And then finally, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have no doubt I'm his then get off, don't be on a milk bottle, right? We need to be down here. We need to be growing in our faith. And First uh, John 2 is a key text. One more t- passage to look at today. All these Bible drills. First <clears throat> John chapter 2, verse 28. says, And now, little children, remain in him, so that when he appears we may have confidence and not shrink away from him and shame when he comes back. If you know that he is righteous, you also know, and notice the use of know here. It's far more than just cognitive. The one who practices righteousness has been fathered by him. Then he says, dear friends, verse two of chapter three, we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that whenever it is revealed, we will be like him for we shall see him just as he is. (laughs) What a day, huh? There's an old chorus. We won't sing it. <clears throat> My wife said, now you're not going to lead it, are you? I said, no. She said, good. Uh, <clears throat> so we won't sing it, but you may know that chorus. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you for giving to me thy great salvation, so rich and free. Um, a lot of these truths you already know this morning, but it's, it's a good reminder. Remember the church at Ephesus, they lost their love and feeling their vibrancy for Christ. And what did Christ tell the church at Ephesus? Remember where Christ has brought you. Remember your salvation and return to the deeds you once did. Uh, So if you're struggling with that loving feeling, uh, you feel like you're slipping back into the, the newborn stage, then take Christ's words at heart and persevere. Press forward. Uh, We don't need another Joshua Harris. Thank you. Uh, I do not know how you can drink of this water and then throw it out. I really don't. Uh, May God help each one of us, right, to grow in our walk with him as we persevere. Give me, what, 80 guys this morning that are on fire for God. 
and there will be a revival in this land. It starts in our lives, and our homes, and our workplace, etc. And that's what we need. Father, thank you for, our, for the salvation you've given to us, which is indeed so rich and yet free. It was extremely costly. May we be ever reminded of what it took to restore a relationship with you, your own son's blood. And Lord, we thank you that we can be sure of it because your word tells us that we are in your hands, secure. And Lord, thank you. We love you. I pray for each man in this room. Lord, if there's someone who doesn't know you today, I pray that they would yield their life to you. For those that are struggling maybe in their walk with you and doubting you, I pray that today would just be a uh, new batteries that have been placed in and that uh, they can go forward following you. Lord, we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. There's a quote at the top of the page, on uh, page one. I know not this saving faith to me he did impart, nor how believing in his word wrought peace within my heart. But I know whom I've believed, and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Isn't that great?